Hello, everyone, and welcome to Small Talk, a podcast hosted by Boston Children's Hospital nurses. Hi, my name is Stephanie Cummings, and I will be one of your hosts today. I am amongst the newer members of the CEI, or Clinical Education Informatics Practice and Quality team. Hi, I'm Caroline Costello. I'm also a really new member of the CEI Nursing Professional Development Team, and I'm excited to be here as one of your hosts. So today we are very excited to have with us some of our nursing professional development specialists and nurse educators from the hospital. We have Greg Durkin, Colleen Mara, and Caitlin O'Brien here to talk with us. So if you could please just take a moment to introduce yourself, that would be great. We'll start with you, Greg. Yeah, hi. My name is Greg. I'm the director of the nursing professional development function here at Boston Children's Hospital. And I've been in that role for seven, eight years or something, but I've been in professional development for 32 years, I can't believe. And I've worked in a variety of settings. I've worked in seven different organizations in three different states in both tertiary care, academic, and public health sector. But right now, here I am in tertiary quaternary care for the last 20 years I've been here. So... I'm thrilled to be with you today. Hi, my name is Colleen Mara, and I am a staff nurse too. I am currently the education coordinator on Nine Northwest, which is the inpatient neuroscience unit. I have been in this role for about three years, and prior to that, I was a staff nurse on the unit uh, since 2015. Prior to that, I did have adult experience working with neurology patients, and I've been a nurse for about 10 years. Hi, I'm Caitlin O'Brien. I am a staff nurse three and nurse educator in the neonatal intensive care unit. I have worked in the NICU for 22 years, of which the past 15 years has been in the education. I'm a homegrown nurse here at BCH. I started off as a clinical assistant co-op student and worked my way up the clinical ladder. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to hearing all of your thoughts. So Greg, in a few words, could you describe what it means to be a nursing professional development specialist? I want to back up for a second first, though, and talk about nursing professional development as a practice. And then within that, there are various staff who perform nursing professional development functions. So a preceptor is actually doing nursing professional development, even though they might not call themselves a professional specialist, right? And a unit-based clinician who is responsible for orientation and competency is practicing professional development. My team is professional development. When I do conferences and things, that's professional development. In that field, we have, with our 2022 scope and standards of practice for professional development, we have renamed us. And our umbrella term is a professional development practitioner. And not to be confused with a nurse practitioner, it's a nursing professional development practitioner. You never use the word practitioner when we're referring to nursing professional development. It's always the whole title. And that, is, that person is a registered nurse who has this thing called NPD, nursing professional development, practice judgment. They also have expertise that who can influence professional role confidence and growth of learners in a variety of settings. And we then break that, that role into two roles. So there's entry-level skills and advanced-level skills. And the entry-level role is called the NPD practitioner, who supports learners in interprofessional practice and learning to facilitate continuous development for the healthcare team. Whereas the NPD specialist has to have a graduate degree and has to be certified. So the new scope and standards, this is, you know, heads up everybody, pay attention. Um, the new scope and standards says you cannot be called an MPD specialist without a master's degree and being certified. Um, we are not currently doing that here, but my central team is going to be moving to that model. And those folks develop tools, theories, skills, and knowledge to advance our practice. That's sort of a good summary of, of who we are yeah, that was not a few words, but we appreciate the very thorough um, response. And Colleen or Caitlin, I'm just wondering if you have anything to add to that or anything you feel like wasn't mentioned that was important to add. I don't think so. I think Grant kind of summed it up nicely. And I think just the emphasis on just kind of the nurse's entire like career and span, the lifespan of the nurse and kind of looking at that development from, like Greg had mentioned, like an entry-level nurse up to our veteran nurses and just ensuring their overall professional development. 
I would agree. I think it's important to remember that at Boston Children's, this role is still developing. And I think that we continue to support this role in different practice areas and it's evolving over time. So I think that is a great addition to the hospital. And it's really important that we support our nurses on a daily basis to support their work and to support their practice. Yeah, it's, they're to- there's totally an evolution, right? I've worked here for 20 years and there's definitely been an evolution. Maybe not the fastest evolution I would personally yeah. like to see. Um, maybe I would like a little bit faster evolution, but it's definitely evolving. And as long as we're all moving in the same direction, I think it's fine. <laughs> there was a time in my past and other places I've worked where everybody wasn't actually moving in the same direction. Some of us were moving north and other people were moving southwest. And um, this doesn't work. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Caitlin, I was particularly interested to hear a little bit more about your journey. I also started here as a CA and co-op. And so I do think that there's a lot of room for growth here. But I was interested to hear a little bit more about your professional journey, how it is that you got involved with nursing professional development, and what inspires you in your role. So I very early on um, started precepting about like a year and a half, two years after working here. It was well before we had a transition to nursing practice program. So my orientation process looked probably a lot different than what my nurses get right now coming in as new grads. But I um, became just a unit preceptor and I absolutely fell in love with the precepting role and being able to support and do hands-on teaching at the bedside. I then became involved in helping to teach unit-based orientation classes. I became a member of the old um, education council, for those that remember the pavilion conference room (laughs) Um, back in the day, but became part of that council and started to really learn a lot about um, nursing education that then kind of morphed into nursing professional development. And it kind of opened up that they were looking for another educator here in the NICU. And I was appointed to that role, just given kind of my ongoing precepting commitment of helping with orientation classes and just beginning to kind of coach and mentor nurses as I was climbing the clinical ladder from a staff nurse one to a staff nurse two, and then into a staff nurse three position. Um, Just out of curiosity, were you a staff nurse three before you became an educator or did you work towards that after you had taken on that new role? Um, It kind of all happened simultaneously. (laughs) Professional advancement is a feels like a job job application. Yeah, it definitely is. Yes. But one that's very worthwhile. It was very. It's great that you were able to do both at the same time. And Colleen, could you share a little bit about your journey? Yeah. So I come from a family of educators. My mom is a retired program coordinator, and my brother is a current assistant principal math teacher. My other brother is a dentist who is also a faculty at a college as well teaching. So as I grew up, everyone told me, you're going to be a teacher. And it was kind of drilled into me. And I, I kind of just went along with it for most of my childhood. And then... I realized, you know, as I was in school, in high school and looking at colleges, nursing really was my passion and I really loved caring for other people. So I enrolled in nursing, but I always had this feeling that people, you know, told me you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be a teacher. And as soon as I started on the floors, I was already, I loved taking nursing students under my wing or precepting early on and I think I always loved watching people learn and sharing what I knew with them. And and it was just, just came really natural to me. I started teaching clinical for some of the local colleges. um, And then one day uh, the nurse um, director on the neuroscience unit had asked me if I'd consider the educator role on our unit. And it had been vacant for a while. And I honestly hadn't even thought about it at all. I kind of just was in my niche teaching clinical and precepting. And, and I think that conversation that we had really made me think this could be an opportunity for me that, you know, a, a different and something new. So um, I went for it and then I enrolled in a master's program and I got my MSN in education and learned so much about professional development. And I graduated at the end of last year. And I think it's been kind of a winding journey, but I end up being a nurse and an educator all in one at the end of the day. So it's where I'm meant to be. 
That's great. I feel like I have a lot of similar experiences to both of you. I loved precepting and that's how I kind of developed in this role. And I also, when I actually applied to colleges, I applied for an education as an education degree. And literally a month before all the applications were due, I had to go around to my high school teachers and ask them to change it to nursing. Um, But education was always at the, always in the back. It was always a passion. So a lot of similarities in the story. Um, there's a lot of similarities between nursing and education too, I think. Yeah. I remember when I um, interviewed for my new grad job, the nurse manager had asked me what was something I really enjoyed doing as a nurse. And the first thing that popped into my head was discharge instructions. Like I love teaching families how to care for their own children at home. And so you're right. It totally ties in to each other. And so it's a great opportunity to have both skills. And Greg, uh, we would love to hear some more about your journey and how it is that you got to where you are today and um, what it is that inspires you in your role. Yeah. First, I want to say, never underestimate the power of tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, have you ever thought about this? I think you should do that. Whether you just heard a great example about that. And that's what happened to me. I mean, we, we, we follow Colleen's memory journey backwards. And I could be like, yeah, when the other boys we're playing baseball and football. I was playing classroom, you know, <laughs> no lie. I mean, anybody who knows me know I'm not, I'm not a jock. Sports is not my thing. <laughs> but I remember when I was in my senior year of my nursing program and I was in my psych mental health rotation and we had to do a teaching project. And my teaching project was amazing. We could talk about it on the podcast, but it was amazing. And when I was meeting with my faculty person and she was evaluating us at the end of the semester, she said, you know, Greg, you have a really gift for teaching. And if you wanted to leave this program and transfer over into the education school, I would fully support that. And I looked at her like she had 17 heads. I'm like, are you batty? I'm like two months away from graduating and you're telling me to start all over. So I just completely dismissed it. And then I took a job. I started working and an educator position opened up on my unit. And, you know, when you're younger, you feel really cocky and overly confident. And you just feel like you've got it all figured out at 25 years of age. And then you turn out to be 50 and you're like, I don't have it figured out at all. And I've seen, you know, I hear people laughing about that, but it's like, you know, that's well, you know, people pick on young people, but we all did it. And I did it too. I'm like, I'm 25 or 26. I can be a unit-based educator. And I had a director at the Children's Hospital of Michigan in Detroit, and she hired me for this job. It wasn't quite a tap on the shoulder, but it was like that. And she saw something in me that maybe I wasn't fully what was there. And that's how it was born. Like I was in my glory for a very long time there until, you know, life does things and you move. Um, That's where I've been ever since. Everything I've done for the last 30 years has been around education and professional development of nurses or healthcare professionals. Because I left, I went out of nursing for a short period of time. I came right back. <laughs> what brought you back? Moving to Boston. When I got my master's degree, was 1990, I went to school in 1993. There was no such thing in 1993 as an MSN in nursing education, at least not in Michigan where I was. There was no such thing. So you either went on a nurse practitioner or clinical track or you went outside of nursing. And so I'm like, I don't want to be a, a clinician, nurse practitioner. Nurse practitioners really was in the infancy in 1993. And you know, it wasn't nearly what it is now. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the School of Education. And that's where I went. And it wasn't until I moved to Philadelphia in the late 90s where I found out what a liability that was because hospitals wouldn't talk to me, College of Nurses, nursing schools. I was thinking maybe I would go be a faculty member at a nursing school. and I talked to one of the universities there and she's like, you're amazing. Your resume is great. You have all this amazing experience. Your pediatrics, 10 years with neuroscience experience. Like you fill so many boxes that we need to fill, but your master's isn't in nursing. So we can't hire you even if we had a position. I was like, all right. So then I left (laughs) and I went to the community-based setting and I worked with social workers and uh, lay home visitors and taught growth and development to underserved populations, mostly women with small children. They moved to Boston and bing, bang, boom, ended up at Boston Children's Hospital. I'm not really sure how it happened. And what, would you ask me something else? What am I inspired by? Yeah. What inspires you and your role? I'm really, I really, I don't know if it's an inspiration as much as it is 
getting energy from when you see somebody who's getting it. When you're working with somebody and you can almost see the light bulb go off over the head and then they're getting it and then they're like, oh, right, this is why it's important. And they want to talk to you about it and they want to they want to understand it better and they want to, they don't just look at what they're doing in the nursing profession as if they're working in a factory because i do believe we have some people that think that this job is working in a machine i do a task i, I sign a piece of paper i do a task or sign a piece of paper there's not many of them but they're around right and those don't inspire me the people who like oh i get it I also get really inspired by other professional development folks. I was meeting with one today who like pulled up this thing called OneNote. The person is a, a very junior novice professional development person, but pulled up this thing, like has like tables and tabs and charts and graphs and all this stuff. And I was like, what is this? You're changing my life. I need to use this right now. I'm like, and so I'm like, I'm like all after every time I'm on a break today, I've been like playing with it. So. Can I take a guess as to what was that of Mr. Christopher Reeves? It absolutely was one of our very own Boston children's employees. He was talking to me about one note recently. Um, and I was like, oh, I guess I really need to look into this. Oh my God. It's amazing. Caitlin or Colleen, um, is there anything that you want to add about what inspires you and your role? I totally agree with Greg. I think it's the staff that I work with. And I think just seeing their excitement and their developing practice. And when you see someone who doesn't get it to finally getting it, it just makes the world of a difference knowing that you played, you know, a little tiny part in that. You know, I thought of the same things. I think that aha moment is key. And I, I love when you can get somebody that was not engaged to engage. Mm -hmm. That is huge right. for me. I always am like, gotcha, <laughs> you know, and it, you really feel like you were able to break through to them. And that, that really makes me feel like I was successful in my work. So that inspires me. I love that answer. So moving on a little bit, you each are in very different roles and um, have very different responsibilities. Would you mind sharing some of the roles or responsibilities that you feel are unique to your practice setting? We can start with Caitlin, maybe. Sure. Things that are unique to my practice environment. I will have to say I do a lot with um, helping to screen um, and interview nurses, clinical assistants, and travelers here in the NICU. And then in addition to then obviously kind of coordinating and organizing, you know, orientation schedules and the curriculum and classes. But I also have found myself the past four to five-ish years really having to focus on a lot of preceptor development and support. Um, I think as times have changed slightly and we've had a lot of movement in and out of nursing, in and out of our unit in the hospital in general, it seems much more of a national trend. But kind of those people that had always been here a really long time are now no longer here. And definitely, you know, the average age of the preceptor at the bedside is becoming younger and younger. Um, so really kind of tailoring to what they need as far as support to be able to help kind of orient this next generation of nurses. I also do a lot with simulation and helping to kind of oversee a lot of the different simulation programs here in the NICU. I've been involved with the SIM program since 2005 and have worked hard on developing and maintaining different programs such as crisis resource management and mock codes and nursing orientation, teaching high-risk, low-volume skills, especially around like dialysis, and also helping our nurse practitioners, our fellows and attendings with certain skill-based classes as well. I also do a lot with quality improvement and SIRS and safety follow-up on a lot of things, kind of participating in different root cause analysis and kind of really looking at things and systems that we can try and change to make care the safest. I also do a lot of coaching and supporting of different nurses as well. Here in the NICU, we have a very large number of staff nurses and we divide those staff nurses up kind of around all of our level three nurses. So I have a large group of nurses that I do kind of continue to support their ongoing development as a level three coach for them. That's great. It's all a lot of responsibility, <laughs> but it's all great. Um, when you talk about your quality assurance and SERS reporting, um, are you talking specifically about NICU incidences or do you do more hospital-wide? 
I do more NICU incidents like follow up, but obviously if there's other multidisciplinary teams that we have to reach out and collaborate with, I definitely work within that as well. That's great. Colleen, would you like to share a little bit? Sure. So um, some of the roles and responsibilities that are, you know, unique to neuroscience, I, you know, I would say is the um, nature of the, the field probably. So we have a mix of medical, surgical, and an oncologic population. So I would say that it's important that I keep up to date with the different um, specialties that are on our unit and make sure that there's always practice changes with equipment or with medications or with surgeries or something and making sure that in-services are occurring and they're going out globally to our staff and making sure everyone is up to date on information. We just recently started a weekly newsletter that we are targeting to our bedside nursing staff to make sure that with all the practice settings that we see on our unit, the information is being distributed in a way that everybody is receiving the information and also acknowledging that they've understood what's going on. So I think that would be the most specific to neuroscience. Um, I do a lot of things with professional development that are similar to what everyone in the hospital does. I am in charge of orientations for all clinical assistants, travelers, nurses, and um, I, we help with the CSO, the uh, central staffing office orientations as well. So I would say thinking about specific to our role, I would think, you know, just keeping up to date with practice changes. That's great. In your role, do you feel like there's something that you really love doing? It's your absolute favorite task. And then also, is there something you just like really don't enjoy doing? It's your least favorite task. How much can I say on this podcast about getting in trouble? <laughs> uh, least favorite thing I think is easier. My least favorite thing that I have to do is um, nag. Most people have heard me say this. I call myself the nag in chief. And I, I really dislike nagging. I really dislike having to chase people down to finish their tasks. And one of the things that I, I say... I don't know, you could, you could put a judgment attached to it, but I'm like, I don't think in my entire professional career, anyone has had to nag me to complete my responsibilities. And so I don't think it's, I don't actually think it's that special to do that. And yet we spend, I spend so much time begging people to answer an email or sign their time card or fill out a survey or complete their net learning course. Or like, I spend so much time doing that. And it's just, to me, it's just wasted time. And I say that's probably my, my most least favorite thing to do. And because of my job, right? My job is to make sure that we are compliant with our educational requirements, both for our policy and our own internal quality, but also to regulatory and other designating event organizations. So it's my job to do that. So I know it's part of my job. I know that it's important part of my job. It does not give me pleasure. Like, it does not give me pleasure at all. What I really love is teaching and teaching topics I'm really passionate about. And in my role now as director, I have less and less opportunity for that. But when I'm standing in front of a group of people and I'm really passionate about my topic and my humor comes out and I'm connecting with, with the audience or the learners and we're enjoying the learning experience, then I know people are learning because the only time you learn is when you're enjoying what you're doing. If you're not enjoying it, you're not learning. You're, you're learning things, but you're not learning content. If you're not enjoying your learning experience, you're learning why you don't enjoy the learning experience or you're learning why you don't like the person facilitating or why the chair is uncomfortable or why you, have, you know, that's what you're learning. You're not learning content. So that's probably one of my most favorite things to do. In my current role, I, I would say, leading a team of 10 people that my favorite things there are when someone is doing or creating something and needs a little bit of help and I can give it to them and then I leave them alone <laughs> and then they do it and I love it. I love working with highly functioning, capable individuals, which is all over Boston Children's Hospital, by the way. Um, what we don't always do is just hire highly functioning, capable people and let them actually do their job. That's my motto. I, I hired you because I think you're highly functioning, capable. I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> I'm staying out of it. So I like that. 
you talked a little bit about you really love it when you have an opportunity to teach the topics that you're passionate about. What are some of those topics that you're really passionate about? I really love talking about anything to do with nursing professional development. I've been in this field for a long time, but about 15 years ago or so, I I started getting involved with the national organization ANPD. And as people like to say in the olden times, I drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know if that has relevance to people who are younger people anymore. Like, I don't know, I don't know what the corollary is, but for those of us of a certain age, drank the Kool-Aid has, and if you're younger and you're listening to this, go look up, drank the Kool-Aid and see the very dark and sort of a horrible origin of that phrase. I mean, really, if you think about it, like, why do we use this? I don't think this is what we should be using. Anyway. And so I've become passionate about nursing professional development and that we are a legitimate and valid subspecialty practice of nursing. And I have have been on almost 20 years evangelist show trying to convince, especially people in the job, that their practice of nursing professional development is just as valuable as oncology nursing as emergency department nursing, as perioperative nursing, as surgical nursing, it's just as valid because we are not necessarily have a clinical part of our framework does not mean that our contribution is any less valid and that we have our own body of knowledge and our own research and our own history. And we have our own scope and standards approved by the American Nurses Association five times in a row. Like, see what I'm talking about? That's where I get passionate. I love talking about it. Not to get super corny on you, but I remember very distinctly, my nurse manager at the time had set up an opportunity for you and I to speak. I was in the process of getting my master's in education, and I was really interested in the new grad population and getting more involved. And you and I had a sit-down meeting, and I remember leaving there and thinking, wow, he is really passionate about what he does, and (laughs) I want to do what he does. Like He's so excited about it. It must be so great to do that, and that's what I want to do. And it's just kind of like a full circle moment that you're you talking to you and I am doing that and it's really great and I love it. It's so awesome. Oh, you, you inspired me. Yay. <laughs> really corny. But anyway, um, Colleen, what is something that you would say is your favorite thing to do in your role and also your least favorite thing? I can totally relate to Greg when he says <laughs> that nagging people is his least favorite activity because I am on the receiving end of Greg's reports (laughs) (laughs) that say these are the people that need to complete your reports. And then, you know, we have to, you know, go and ask people for, you know, reach out and complete your net learning. And I think it feels like I'm nagging. It feels like I'm bothering you. It feels like I could spend my time doing something else. So I think that's probably my least favorite activity for sure in the role. I would say I am most happiest when I am teaching as well, which is ironic, but I really mean it. I teach five onboarding days for the neuroscience programs. So Uh, There are five onboarding days that correlate to the different services. So one's a welcome to neuroscience class, and then there's an epilepsy class, a neurology class, a neurosurgery, and then a neuro-oncology class. And so each day I go through very common diagnoses that we see for each of those patient populations. And I have my little quirks as well, and I have my songs that I make up and Everyone on my floor knows how to remember diabetes insipidus because of my DI song. Oh and, <laughs> Love it. and so it's just that is when I feel when I finish a class and they walk out smiling and singing is when I feel like I, I did you know, a good job and I am very happy with my job and had a successful day. Um, well, I think that there's no better place to broadcast a DI song than a podcast. <laughs> I mean, come on. You walked right into that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, she's going to do it. Well, I have a, a DI and an SIADH one. So there's two to remember the differences. So they're not very like intricate. I just want to let you know. They're both to the theme of Old McDonald's. 
We're not expecting a Beyonce remix here. It'll be all okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll do I'll do the DI one and then we'll do the S I E D H one. Okay. Good. When you're in DI, you'll see all you do is pee, 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 pee. So give them D D A V P for that crystal clear pee pee. Okay. Let's get this girl an album. All right, and then this is my SADH one. You don't pee much and your weight is up and you see your um, sodium tanking. S-I-A-D-H, S-I-A-D-H, S-I-A-D-H. You've got to wait for them to pee. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about that. the into the into education. I love that. That's so great. Well, are listening to singing too because they all know it <laughs> i can definitely see why they would remember those those are great <laughs> well that's a hard one to follow up but caitlin <laughs> now that i've thoroughly embarrassed myself it we sure can is i definitely don't have a song to sing or a dance number for anybody <laughs> so i apologize in advance my least favorite thing sorry greg is anything to do with net learning yeah Oh, man, I kids a love-hate relationship. I know I have to do it for my job, but I can't say that I enjoy spending any time in net learning. I totally agree with you guys about the nagging and the hand-holding. I'm trying to make people complete things. I totally feel that as well. And I think just anything like paperwork regulatory, like I, I don't like shuffling papers and having to kind of, you know, keep track of some of those things. My favorite part of my job... I agree with you guys. I think being able to teach, um, whether it's in the classroom or I just really love being able to teach just kind of one-on-one in the moment at a bedside when you're called over because someone is so sick or acutely changing and they just need more hands to be able to kind of put all the pieces together. I love being able to do that and really kind of fostering you know, the management of critically ill infants and kind of helping those nurses develop the critical thinking, the clinical judgment and the assessment skills. I love being able to do that in the moment. That's great. I wonder if any of you could kind of speak to if you feel that COVID or how you feel COVID has changed the landscape of professional development or education. I'll just start. I actually started in November of 2019. And then COVID obviously came just a few months later. So I really only know a professional development like with COVID in it. So I remember my very first sim I ran was a COVID response simulation paired with the sim center. They helped sim peds, I believe. They they came over to our floor and helped us figure out how to use the anteroom and how where to put donning and doffing. So that's how I am learning basically about about the role. So I guess I can't speak exactly to the evolution of it, but I can tell you that as a professional development nurse, I think that COVID is involved in just about everything we do. And unfortunately, we have to remember those practices in in almost every activity we plan. Yeah. And I recently transitioned to this role from working in the emergency department and, you know, with all the onboarding and orientations too, it's, it really just wearing a mask all of the time really does affect your ability to get to know new staff and learn people's faces and really like establish that relationship. Um, and so I can imagine that that aspect of it would be really difficult too in your role when you're new to your own role, but you're also trying to onboard all of these other new people and you can't even see half their face. Greg, are there any challenges that you, you feel have affected your practice? Yeah, the challenges are for uh, me, us in my role and my team's role are really more what I call our inputs. And so it's the people we're hiring as our inputs because we are not clinical educators. We are not at the bedside teaching central line care, dressing changes. We're not not doing that, right? That's the unit-based education responsibility. So we're dealing with people right when they come to us and the pandemic in the acute phase, and now what I'm calling, what I'm, I've coined for myself as the post-acute phase, because we're still in a pandemic, by the way, has changed our inputs. The people that we're hiring are different than they were pre-pandemic. If you think about it in t- 2020 and for a chunk of 2021, 
there were no clinical, no nursing clinical rotations. So those people are now at the end of their BSN and graduating, right? And they've never had a rotation with live children. And that's who we're hiring. That's those are some people we're hiring. Um, we have we're seeing anecdotally a big increase in nurses who work in adult facilities who just are traumatized from what COVID did. Because like, how COVID hit adult facilities much different than it hit ours. And uh, we, we're we're seeing nurses who've been traumatized by that and just don't want to go through that anymore. And so we're seeing a big increase in adult nurses coming to us. And these present challenges. So we, we're seeing less skilled, less experienced with children. And what we also know that's not pandemic related is nursing schools are increasingly de-emphasizing pediatric curricula. So it's less and less and less of your school. And this creates challenges for us. What the pandemic has also done is opened up new ways of connecting with our learners. Whereas we would have a conference room, we could fit 20 people in it. We can now, through some careful instructional design and planning, offer a comparable learning experience remotely where people don't have to commute. They don't have to park. You know, it's our number one complaint is parking here. And we can get 50, 60, 70 people. So that's been a positive change. You know, we're, we're still... I think everybody in America is still, but I know I know my team. We are still trying to decide where's the the sweet spot between remote learning and live learning. Because I'll tell you, you guys, the efficiencies of remote learning are certainly attractive, but there is nothing like being in a educational space, a classroom, a sim center, wherever, and there's a break. And somebody's sitting next to you and you start having a conversation and make a connection and you learn something. And then you meet people. There's nothing like it. You cannot, I don't care what anybody says, you cannot replicate that on Zoom. You tell people to go into breakout rooms to just meet each other. They all turn their cameras off unless you give them a task. So anyway, those are some of the things. There's lots more, but those, those are the ones that come to my head. Yeah, well, as the host of nursing orientation next week, I was shocked to see my email come through yesterday. And I, unless I miscounted, yeah. we broke three figures for this orientation. It's a hundred and one. Yeah, this is our this is our biggest hiring of nursing orientation in twenty years. Yeah, the previous record was about seventy seven. And when I was doing nursing orientation 10 years ago, my biggest class was 75. And that there was no remote then. We had to do that live. We had to, we had to hire a banquet room at the, ho, you know, the Galleria Hotel across the street because we didn't have any space big enough to hold, handle it. So in some ways, having remote orientation makes it possible for us to hire these big groups. But, you know, a hundred and something new hires brings a huge amount of energy into the clinical space. I mean, there's some there's some clinical spaces that are hiring 14 people this month on one unit. I've done it. I know what that feels like. It's hard. It's not easy. Even if you only have one or two people starting, or you have no one starting, that, so that's a lot to come on in one month. And in some units, it's not only just 14 new hires, it's 14 new graduate nurses that are being hired on. Um, this will also be our largest um, new grad cohort as well. Um, it surpasses totals for all of 2020, the yeah. next core. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting time to be involved in the education and the professional development onboarding side of things. But it's exciting. So I just... It is. No, no, it's very exciting. I, you know, I, I grew up at Children's Hospital Michigan, Detroit. We never hired anything but new grads. That's all I ever knew. And when I came here and everybody was so like, oh, new grad, scary, scary. I was like, I don't understand. And then people were like, oh, she's too young. She hasn't experienced a precept. I'm like, I was precepting one year out of nursing school. As far as I know, it worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> and when I worked at it's I my age, it's about that capability and the aptitude, right? My new grad at Rady Children's in San Diego, The um, that was their model was if 
a new grad would orient at their one year mark would orient the next new grad that was starting. Um, and they felt like because there was that closeness in that experience, um, that you could better orient them to some of the intricacies of the department um, because you were so close to having just experienced it. So it, I also had that experience and I really enjoyed it. And again, I think in referencing back to what Caitlin had said earlier about precepting, I really do think that that shaped me into wanting to get more involved in precepting and education. Um, so I think that there's great opportunity there. I feel like we're in, we're in a wide, we're in a fork in the road about what we think about the people that we hire. And by we, I don't mean necessarily just our hospital, but I definitely mean our hospital is, are we hiring and orienting people to work here for the next 35 years? Are we hiring and orienting people to get through the next 24 months? And I'm going to challenge that we should be doing the latter, not the former. I'm 30 years older than the new grads we're hiring, and I've had seven jobs in three different states. Why, why do we think a 23-year-old is going to stay here until they're 70 in 2022? I just, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. And so when we start changing what we're trying to achieve with orientation, it changes the content. It changes our emphasis. It makes it very reasonable and logical to have a one year out of nursing school teach them. But that's that requ this requires a whole lot of mental sh shape shifting. And I think everybody's so tired. Nobody has time to think about it. Like, listen, I can't do it. I just, I've got my manual. Let's just do the manual. <laughs> I'm saying that laughing with sympathy and empathy, not as a judgment, by the way. <laughs> I get it. I think we were at a recent AMPD conference too, where, or webinar, where they had a statistic that they shared was that millennials, they cycle through jobs every four years. So I do think that that plays into that concept of, you know, really orienting them to let, to stay for that period of time and not, and obviously if they stay for 30 years, then that's great, but it's likely not the expectation anymore. So I definitely think that that is creating a shift. I heard a nurse leader at the same convention, I heard a nurse leader talk to a friend of mine who said she was like, oh, I'm changing jobs because I didn't see I was going to go anywhere. And the nurse leader said, well, how long have you been in this job? And she's like, well, I've been in it for eight years. And the nurse leader said, well, you should have left three years ago. If you're not getting promoted every five years, you should move on. And I thought, this is very counter to what we're saying to new nurses coming into the work environment. I, just, I found it fascinating to hear like this very highly educated thousand letters after her name nurse leader saying to somebody who's in her 30s if you're not getting promoted every five years you should move on it's like wow no one ever told me that <laughs> anyway stuff to think about absolutely so moving on we'd love to hear a little bit more about something that you feel like you've accomplished in your role that you're really proud of or you look back on and it just brings you the sense of joy I'd probably have to say starting up the simulator program here for the NICU. And I think just seeing the evolution of how we have improved on our emergency management and response on events, and then kind of taking that like a step further too, is really, I've done a lot of work with debriefing and really trying to debrief our teams live after events have happened. Um, so that we really are walking away from every event with something that we did well on and something that we're going to improve upon rather than the old pat on the back. Great job. We saved that kid. Good job, everybody. But there's always things that we can do better. Yeah. So I hope that's my my mark that I leave here. Your legacy here. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great legacy to leave. I love it. How about you, Colleen? I would say in January of this year, I found out that I had an article was going to be published that I was a part of. And I think that was definitely something I'm quite proud of. It's the first article that I've ever had that I've been a part of that's been published. And it was done during the pandemic. And there was a lot of other competing demands that was going on at the time. And I was also new to the role. The article, it was about preceptor burnout. And I think it was just a really good learning experience, understanding how the process works and how uh, all of the steps that it takes to, you know, submit and go through the editing process. And it really opened my eyes that, you know, it's possible to, you know, get your 
your work out there and you can do it. And, you know, I worked with like such a, a wonderful team. Greg was a lead and a part of it. And I'm just so thankful that that opportunity hopefully will lead to, you know, allow me to take more chances like that for, in my career going forward. And not to fangirl a little bit, but I actually was just doing research on Piece of Good Burnout and your article came out, was one of the first ones. So it's always so exciting when you're like, oh, I know those people. And I read it and it was, it was great. And I also was really excited just to read it. There was really a wide variety of authors on that article, just to see that interprofessional collaboration. I think I had seen Colleen Nixon's name was on there. Like it was just, there was a lot of contributors and it was really great to see that you guys were able to work on that together. Yeah. So I'm so glad you you talked about that. We'll promote it. Hopefully people will um, and leave this podcast and go and read your, your article. Thanks. <laughs> um, and then Greg. The things that are coming to my head right now are more external focused. Not that I'm not proud of the work that we're doing internally. There's just a lot of stuff right now that's in development. I'll be proud of it when it's done and working and successful. But right now, it's still all very much, there's a lot of things that are in development. We're creating an advanced practice nurse fellowship. We're working on a leadership fellowship. My dream is to have a professional development fellowship. We're working on orientation programs for nurse managers and for educators. We're working on a boot camp for folks who have less skill and need to be upskilled in pediatric nursing. All these things, I'm going to be very proud of them when they're done but they're all in development right now. And so I would say the thing that I'm most proud of right now uh, that I've worked on was the revision of the scope and standards of practice for nursing professional development. I participated in the working group with 25 or so other MPD professionals from around the world. We had somebody from Melbourne, Australia on the group. We had somebody from Doha, Qatar on the group. And I've met people from all over the country and it was an incredible experience to dive into our scope and standards of practice and, and look at every one of the 18 standards and say, is this really relevant or is it not? Did, are people gonna understand what this means or are they not? And I'm very proud of that work. It makes the foundation even stronger than the previous edition. I mean, I've, always, I've liked the previous edition, but this one makes it even stronger. We've made some very strong language in it about self-care and our role in that and our role in health in promoting healthy work environments and addressing bullying and hostility and incivility like those were in there always but this is a whole standard now that calls it out um, we have a whole standard on respectful and equitable practice and our language in there is very strong and it says if you're going to be in this role i think one of the i can't remember the exact language but it says you must actively resist systemic racism like which is we're calling it out you can't just like oh whatever you have to actively resist you have to get involved you have a responsibility and i'm very proud of that we always had diversity stuff in there but we really all felt like this needed to be stronger and then as part of our working group we were really looking at our competent the competencies reach standard and there's a lot of reference to clinical judgment in them and, you know, helping nurses with clinical judgment or using your clinical judgment or using your judgment, you know, as part of your professional development role. And, and during our one of our working meetings, I said, I don't think this is the right terminology. I think we should be talking about nursing professional development practice judgment. We talked about it and everybody loved the idea and it appears all over the scope and standards. And that created for me, for me, well, Greg, working at Boston Children's Hospital, coined MPD practice judgment. And what that is, is, you know, somebody comes to you and says, oh, there's safety events around Vicky Becky Boo skill. Caitlin, re-educate the staff. And your practice judgment says to you, everybody knows how to do this. That's not the problem. So this is the body, when I talk about we have a body of knowledge, this is what I'm talking about. There's also our literature and our foundations and our education and our advanced preparation, our conferences, all that's education too. But our body of knowledge, it's our not like we know. We we have an NPD practice judgment. Once you've been in the role and, you, and you're more than in it for, you know, five minutes, you get through, you start developing this NPD practice judgment the same way clinical nurses develop clinical judgment and critical thinking. 
It's the same process. It's just ours is about this is going to work or this is not going to work. Or maybe we should do it this way and not that way. I'm proud of it because I want everybody to see themselves not as a clinical nurse who does a little education. I want us to see ourselves as professional development and educators who do a little clinical work. I want to flip it completely around. <laughs> In reference to that new scope of standards, is there anything specific that you envision or hope um, will create change here at Boston Children? Yeah, uh, the scope of standards is very strong about educational preparation, about certification, about roles and what's, what we're responsible for. You know, within the centralized department, there's now 10 staff working in the nursing professional function. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but we we were on board of four new people in the last six months, and we've almost doubled our team. So this is in response to the amount of work we have. We have job titles that, that all the new folks moved into that are now not aligned with the scope and standard because, you know, I heard people before the new version came out. So I am going to be right-sizing that. I'm not going to change anybody. Don't panic. I'm not changing your job title. But for going forward, if I hire another novice, novice person, they're going to come in as an NPD practitioner and not as a specialist. And I've already worked with human resources to create that job document and get it graded. And it's in the e-library and it's ready for me to use if I get the good fortune to hire a new novice again. <laughs> Now I'm cursing it. I'm not going to get to hire anybody for like 20 years, but <laughs> but that that's one way. The other thing that's not new with the new edition, but it it's how it's keeping me continue on, is working on identification of professional practice gaps around professional development for this group as a whole across the nursing patient care operations department, and closing those gaps. Part of that becomes getting awareness that our job is six things. It's orientation, it's competency, it's education, it's collaborative practice, collaborative practice, excuse me, it's role development and transition, and it's inquiry. And I think many people around the enterprise do one or two of those things and the rest gets forgot or very little attention. And so what I want to use the scope and standards for is to help people understand this is the totality of your career. Because I think there are very few, I mean, I'll turn to Colleen and Caitlin and even Caroline when you were a unit-based educator about this. Like if you, if you were offered this job today and somebody told you 90% of your job is orientation, would you still want to do this job? Orientation is the most important thing that we do right? It's the most, yeah, it's so important. I don't think anybody wants to just do that. I think there are some people that that's what's happening. And so I want to, I, I want to use scope and standards to help both change our leaders' perspectives about what our role is and change our own perspectives about what our role is. Do you have any recommendations or tips and tricks that you would share with any of your colleagues who may be interested in pursuing a nurse professional development role? I think talking to somebody who's doing the job is a really great thing to do. Building a network and, and really understanding what the role is. Uh, I have people who have applied for positions with me over the years and have had no understanding what the role is. And during the interview, I'm like, you, haven't, you didn't do your homework. You don't know what this job actually is. I think getting advanced degree, I will always encourage that. Getting a, a master's in nursing education, joining uh, professional organizations, whether it's the local consortium of educators in New England or the national organization of AMPD or a learning community within your clinical specialty practice, because they most of them have them, that that I think can be a great entry. Networking, finding role models and mentors and develop relationships with them. Those are all things that I'd say would help you, you know. Next time the council, the council applications happen in 2023, apply to be on professional development council, right? Volunteer to precept you. If there's something that's new procedure or practice in your clinical area, and you're like, I don't know anything about it. Instead of waiting, somebody to come spoon feed, feed it to you. I have an idea, go research it, throw some slides together and ask your leadership. If you can have a 10 minutes at change the shift to do an in-service for your peers, be, be that nerd that does it. Show, you got to show people 
that this is what you want to do, you can't just sit there and wait for your leaders to magically know with ESP that this is what you want to do. You have to show them. Those would be my suggestions. I totally agree with you, Greg. I think what has helped me from not having any degree in education, I degree is more in patient safety and quality. So a lot of this has been self-taught throughout 15 years. And I think what has gotten me through this is definitely, I think, networking, making connections, um, knowing your resources, whether it's resources and connections within Boston Children's or if it's with other educator roles and other NICUs throughout the New England area and beyond. And I think taking the time to invest in myself and my own development and making sure that I'm giving this job and doing the best of my abilities. Um, so I think taking that time to invest in my own learning and development so that I can then in turn be the best person for my staff is super important. You know, if I didn't seize opportunities early on, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I think it's realizing that sometimes, you know, people aren't going to hold your hand and feed you, that you do need to take that initiative and kind of jump right in and do it um, and see where it brings you. And I think surrounding yourself with people that believe in you, I think that's important. Even 22 years of working here, every now and again, we still need that little cheerleader pep talk. And I think also realizing and knowing your limits and when you need to ask for help. I think that's what's been able to get me by. Um, I've been the only educator up here now since 2013, and it's a lot. We have grown a lot. We've hired a lot of nurses based on, you know, census and expanding to hail and it's a lot trying to do it all on your own. So it's okay. It takes a village and I know who my people are who can help me. And those are those are those people are the the you of the future, right? Yes. Because we're not always going to be here. Yep, correct. You are right. And it's, you know, it's approaching people and giving other people opportunities. You know, you're totally burnt out from teaching orientation class after orientation. I could teach it with my eyes closed and not even look at the slides, um, telling the same stories over and over again. That, you know, you you realize, like, I don't think I'm effective at doing this anymore. Like, and I had to, you know, call in other people to help. And they're, you know, right now they're a little bit more effective than I am. Yeah. And that's okay. It's totally okay. Yeah. I, I can relate to you totally, Kaylin, because I was doing new hire orientation, you know, from 2006 to 2016, 17, something like that. And I remember, you know, I was now in my 50s when I stopped doing it. And I was like... Am I going to keep doing this till I'm in a walker? Yes. Like, I like people are hiring in that are 30 years younger. Like I, they don't understand my jokes. I remember I yep, said exactly. I said to one of the groups, I'm like, oh, the speaker's not here, so hold tight. And I, the group was like, hold on to what? And I'm like, yeah. no, it's a turn. Of, it's a phrase. <laughs> they had no idea what I was talking yeah. about. And I was like, and I remember going back to the office to talk to my boss at the time, and I'm like, you got to get me out of this it's not any disrespect of me or to them. It's just like, at some point you stop being able to relate. Yes. Yeah. You have to reinvent yourself. Okay. So if I'm not orientation, Greg, then who am I? Yeah. So I became permanent. Yeah. And it's like, but now I think it's also like, it's a new challenge for me realizing like I have become one of those nurses when I first started that, you know, you thought you were never going to become, and I am that nurse now. And I think it's trying to, Relook at how you do things and like, okay, although this worked five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, yeah. you can't keep doing the same thing. You have to keep changing and adapting to the new wave of nurses that are coming through here. Totally. Yeah. One thing that Greg says quite often is that he always looks for the yes and can people, not the no and will people. Yeah. And I think that when you are, when you have that yes and can attitude, doors open up for you, opportunities present themselves, and you really are able to expand your role. Um, and I think that that is a great piece of advice that is definitely a mantra for him, I would say. Yes. It's definitely a mantra. <laughs> I, like, you just have to look at my at my work history and the people that are around me that are doing work, it's the same people. When you, when you, and, and you know this too from being in a unit-based educator role and you're looking for people to precept or to help teach a class or do something. You are not spending your energy chasing down Dora, who mm -hmm. never wants to do anything and is scowling and is always complaining about, I don't know, the temperature of the French fries. And you're, you're not chasing him or her down. 
you're you see and you there might be somebody who's 24 25 you know new into the practice and they're like super energetic and always you know always like i can do it even when they're having a bad day we're gonna get through it and i would really like to do something and you're like you know why don't you try this why don't you come try this i think this would be fun there's more than enough people here that want to help i'm not just down the other people i'm not I think that is a great way to wrap up this conversation. It's been really great talking with all of you. We really appreciate your time. Um, we thank our listeners for listening in. Um, hopefully they got some great pieces of advice that if this is something they're interested in moving into as a career. But we also just want to thank you and celebrate you as part of our MPD week celebration. And so thank you for everything that you do. Um, you have a huge impact on this hospital and you are greatly appreciated. And I hope that you feel that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This Small Talk podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator at Boston Children's Hospital with support from our emergency department and inpatient medicine programs. If you would like to be a guest on Small Talk, email Denise Downey. We'd love to have you as a guest and have you share your expertise with the entire Boston Children's community. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk podcast.